0: Traditions are important. There's no stopping some people if they want to practice them. Voodoo anyone? Hi, and welcome to the Dark Christmas Tales Advent Calendar. This tale is called Family, written by Angela Blythe and read by the author. You know that old saying of timing is everything? Well, someone should have told my husband, as his timing was shocking. When he proposed, he turned up with the ring and a surprise spa trip on a day that I had come down with chicken box. On the day he decided to give his job up because he was so unhappy there, I told him that the roof had collapsed in the bedroom. And on the day he died, it was his birthday, the 1st of December. I know that one wasn't his fault, but it was just typical of him typical of David. But I loved him and I had since the day I met him. I didn't mind the lousy timing at all or any of the other niggles. There was one thing I hated about David. That was his mother. I'd gotten on with other boyfriends' mothers. It wasn't me. You might think it was. You might think I'm just being spiteful. But no, it was her. No one liked her. Before I knew David, I'd seen her around town a few times and generally got the idea that most people avoided her. They said she was a witch. I thought they were a little cruel. Perhaps she was merely misunderstood and strange. Of course, I couldn't believe it when David took me home and introduced me to his mother. After knowing her now for five years, being able to call her my mother-in-law, I can honestly say the people in the centre of town are wrong. They underestimated how evil she is. She's so much more than a witch. She's a powerful voodoo witch. I knew some of the things she was capable of or thought she was. Her name was Meritane, and she was born in Haiti, where voodoo was widely practised. She and David's father had come here just before David was born. A week after David was born, his father had died. I always had the idea that that was where he had inherited his impeccable timing. Maritain was, shall we say, very civil with people. Civil probably to the point of being cold and distant. David didn't seem to notice. It had always been her way. On the other hand, I did see that she was very over the top with him. She was continuously showering him with kisses, hugging him, making him sit next to her on the sofa. Perhaps I should have ended the relationship there and then, but I didn't want him or our relationship to suffer because of his mother. I also thought that ending it would have made her incredibly happy. So I kept seeing him. When we decided to get married, Meritain wasn't happy. One time, I got home from work and my flat had been broken into. Strangely, I couldn't find what they'd taken. My jewellery, all the electricals, everything was still there. It wasn't until a couple of weeks later that I found it. After my break-in, my possessions had actually increased, not decreased. It was a bundle of weird and creepy items. Feathers, skin, herbs and a bone tied together with black string. It smelled nasty. I didn't know what it was and was about to call the police when David stopped me. He knew what it was. It was a voodoo a What? I asked. A voodoo awanga It supposedly has an evil spirit inside although some of them are supposed to be good luck, David said. I could tell by how he was holding the thing by its string that he didn't want to touch it properly. But not that one, I asked. No, this is a death the David said. How do you know so much about it, I asked. David explained to me that when his mother had come here from Haiti, she was already a powerful voodoo queen like a kind of high priestess. She continued to practice her religion when she was here. David said it comforted her when his father had died. Meritain hadn't remarried, but instead had thrown herself wholeheartedly into voodoo. She had many followers here, people who were Haitian natives themselves and others who came from other countries and already practiced. She had tried to train him saying that it was his duty to take her place when she died. When he was a young boy, she regularly exposed him to their practices, their rituals, and he saw what they could do. That is how he knew what an Iwanga was. That was how he knew he didn't want to follow in her footsteps. So getting back to this, I said, taking the Iwanga from him, are you saying that your bloody mother broke in? and put this, this death wish, under my bed. David thought for a moment. There was no defending her. Yes, I will speak to her, David said. No, I said after a moment's thought. Let your mother think it's still here and working. She might do something worse to me or to you. I don't know, get violent or something, I said. David shook his head. She wouldn't do that. She's just a little too possessive, that's all, David said. Listen, don't tell her. Let's get married as quickly as we can and in secret, I said. No, it would break her heart, David pleaded. Break her heart or I'll break yours. It will be the last you see of me. You have to support me in this, I said. David knew I wasn't messing about. He was unfortunately in the middle of two powerful females, both pulling at him. Within two weeks, we were husband and wife. He moved in with me, but remained on good terms with his mother. I didn't go and visit. She wasn't bothered. He never told her that i had found the death longer. Meritain thought it was still working. We were happy. For just over two years. On the 1st of December, David was driving home from work when he was involved in a nine car pile up on the motorway. He was killed instantly. They wouldn't let anyone see the body. David's injuries were too terrible and mainly to his head. He was identified by his dental records. I didn't tell Merritain. I don't know how she found out, but she did. From then on, I was under siege at home. Phone calls, people coming to the door, speaking up for her or her voodoo friends. They did not ever catch me in the best of moods. And do you know what they wanted? They wanted to put things in the coffin. They insisted that these charms or types of Uwonga must go in there. His mother even tried to force the undertaker to put them in, against my knowledge. He told me. But what infuriated me the most was the fact that I had decided that he should be cremated and they said that it was against their religion. I fought for my rights as a wife, but a document was produced in his writing, signed by him years ago, which stated that he wanted to be buried. So buried he was. Standing on one side of the coffin was me, my family and our friends. The other side was the wailing, lamenting rabble of Meritain and her friends. I hated them, hated what they were doing at my husband's funeral. And I was so ashamed that my friends and family had seen it. Later that evening, when all the mourners had gone, I had a call from the undertaker. He said that he could tell that something was wrong with one of his staff. They had avoided him and couldn't look him in the eyes. Finally, this evening, he had got the truth out of him. Meritain had waited for him one evening, pleaded with him to put the good luck charm in the coffin. She said that we didn't get on, so I was just denying her family their proper rights. He had agreed to do it behind the senior undertaker's back. Since then, he had been worried about being found out. He had wished he hadn't done it and thought he would lose his job. The undertaker had given him a written warning, but thought I ought to know. I was furious with him, he had given me this news on the day of my husband's funeral. I took my frustrations about my out on the undertaker, and I shouldn't have. I was wrong about that. I never thought that I would be standing in a graveyard alone late at night by choice, but that night I did. I went to talk to David without the cacophony of Merytane and her voodoo followers. I half expected to see her there. In fact, I was positive that I would. Because of this, I came from the back of the graveyard, through the unkept parts, the brambles and leafless winter foliage. I thought that if I saw her there, I could hide until she was gone. That's why I was surprised and delighted to see that there were no people silhouetted against the moon by David's grave. We could finally be alone together on this sad day. It was a dark night, even though the moon was full. It was cloudy and depressing, which is how the world felt right now. When I got close to the grave, I saw that there were piles of earth at the side. That was strange. I'd seen them begin to fill it in earlier. Had they stopped after doing half a job? There was an awful lot left to go, I noticed. I walked closer until I was next to the opening. I began to think about what I was going to say. I looked up at the moon, closed my eyes, my head full of thoughts. I began to speak. My darling David, I miss you so much. I want you back in my arms. I need to see you walk through the door. Life is unbearable without you by my side. I don't know how I'll get through the next few hours without you. Never mind the rest of my life. We were happy. I'm so glad for both of us about that. I'm grieving now about the life we would have had too. The children, the grandchildren, I uttered. Tears were now stinging my eyes. And it was too painful to keep them shut. I opened them. And for a moment, I couldn't work out what I was looking at. I could see an expanse of white reflected in the moonlight at the bottom of the hole. I carried on staring. One part of my mind then knew what I was looking at. The other part kept saying it wasn't true. I was looking at the inside of my husband's coffin and it was empty. I was struggling to breathe all my essential functions seemed to have stopped i wanted to step back and close my eyes but i couldn't the moment i thought of the answer all functions did come back merittain i began to march back to my car all the time thinking about what i was going to say should i ring the police no i had to be sure but i was sure i had to catch her in the act i mean What did she want with him? He was dead, for God's sake. Did she intend to keep his corpse? Was she going to keep him in a glass case like Snow White? What if she was going to cut him up and use him in her spells? He wasn't hers anymore. He was mine. And I was taking him back. I parked down the street from her house. There were quite a few cars in the street. Unusual, as most people parked in their drives. Her home its curtains shut but she either had her lights off or there was very little light in there. Luckily I knew where the spare key was. Meritaine left it for David. I checked under the plant pot it was still there. I constantly checked that I wasn't being observed. As I had buried my husband today I was already in black which helped considerably. I listened at the living room window and could hear a low murmuring. There was a rattle every so often, like something being shaken. Bones. They were in there. Again, breathing became difficult. But as quietly as I could, I put the key in the lock of the front door. I didn't have a hope of not being seen, as about 20 people were standing outside the living room door in the hall. I warily walked in, expecting them to run for me. Instead, they parted like the Red Sea, forming a channel for me to walk through towards the living room. Dreamily, I made my way forward. Their grave expressions, their eyes wide and unfocused, were not cast towards me at all, but to the room, the other side of the wall. They were concentrating. Inside the room, There were about 12 people, all lit by candlelight. 13. If you counted my dead husband on the sofa. 12 of them were naked, all older people, their bodies painted. Most of them had their eyes rolled up in their heads, the whites fully exposed. They were all chanting in a language I did not know. A male high priest was above my husband's corpse shaking a rattle of many bones up and down his body. Tane wailed and shouted every so often, seemingly at David. She made strange movements with her arms. As for David, at first I could only see his feet from my position at the door. As I moved forward, I saw more of his body, still in his funeral suit that I had taken to the undertaker's. He seemed to have lost a hand in the crash, and one leg didn't look right. Around his neck was a noonga, a red one. Above that, more red, where his face used to be. No jaw, no nose. His eyes looked intact, and so did his forehead. At the top of his head, there was a good chunk of skull and scalp missing they were right to give him a closed coffin. The whole party in the house seemed to shake in unison. I felt that this ritual, or whatever they might call it, was coming to a crescendo. The candlelight flickered. Even though his injuries were so terrible, I could not take my eyes away from what was left of David's face. My David. The dim flickering light made it look like he was moving. They continued to shake in the room. Meritain was making an awful catawalling sound and I was sure the neighbours would hear this. Then there was immediate silence. My ears rang with a sudden change. With the next flare of the candle, I really did see him move. His head, oh, so very slowly, turned on the sofa towards me. As he opened his dead eyelids, I could see that his eyes were intact, and he looked at me. I don't know how long I stared at him, at his unblinking eyes, at his tongue that lulled out, at the fluid that was seeping from the hole that used to be his mouth. I still loved him. I hadn't noticed Meritaine move to my side until she put her hand on my shoulder. Go to him, she nodded. I still need grandchildren. The bloodline cannot be severed. And I did. That was A Dark Christmas Tale, written and read by Angela Blythe. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about further stories in this series or my other work, please go to www.angelablieth.com.